We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 58 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And the Mets are doing just enough to keep us all around. A uh, crushing Labor Day loss blown by Edwin Diaz. But overall, the Mets have been playing good baseball uh, since we last did a show where they are just, as we sit here and record this, Four games back from first place uh, with the, looking up at the Braves. So it'll be a somewhat interesting September. We'll see where it goes. As always, we're going to do more than just talk about the Mets, the big league club today. We're going to do a little prospect update. We're going to do a mailbag and a look back at history because it's episode 58, which means it's the Henry Mejia episode. Joe, got to get you in here for this. Uh, a little flashback to a player that... Quite frankly, until we sat down to record today and prepare for this show, I completely forgot Henry Mejia existed. I loved Henry Mejia. The stomp after the save was the best save celebration ever. You're right. And yes, it was. I even got the seven line, put out a shirt of Mejia doing the stomp, and I even got that shirt. I loved Henry Mejia. And then he just couldn't stop taking steroids. And I'm pretty sure like his second positive or his third positive test he blamed his mom for like <laughs> juicing him somehow like slipping steroids in his stuff or, or, or something to that effect it's some crazy story that he blamed his mother for him failing a steroid test for like the second or third time and like yeah you can pull off like a nonsensical excuse like that if it's like your first and only positive test <laughs> but when you're on your second and third uh, yeah, you're done. Yeah, it's, it's kind of you, man. Dude, he has one of the funniest. Uh, also, you reminded me because of the celebrations. He did the stomp, and this is kind of like a little twist on the stomp. He still did the stomp, but there was a game against the Nationals. The Mets are up 4-3, and he's on, out in the ninth inning, the top of the ninth, so they are playing at City Field to close the game. There's two outs and two guys on. And he has, I think it's a full count or a 2-2 count. And he gets the hitter to chase at a breaking ball outside. And before he does the stomp, he does the, uh, like, reeling in, like a fishing line at the batter on the Nationals. <laughs> and then he, like, I got you to chase. You took the bait. Yep. And then he did the stomp. And you can, if you if you want to watch this and pause the show or, or watch it as you listen to our show today, you can literally just Google Henry Mejia stomp, and it'll probably come up as a GIF in a Google search. I, I cannot believe uh, how crazy he was like that is so it's hilarious it's only funny when it's he's playing for your team not against your team like how we all hate jose alvarado right now uh is this just such a ridiculous thing and you know it's funny with mejia because i completely forgot that he existed and obviously steroids played a big part in probably what i'm about to say you know he was the the bridge to jaris familia uh being a great 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 closer for the mets in 2015 but people forget in 2014, obviously because the Mets weren't any good yet, he had 28 saves and a 3.65 ERA. Like Mejia was actually a good closer in 2014 before he obviously vanished due to suspensions. Yeah, I mean he was fine. And it's funny. I I remember Mejia as a starter in the minor leagues, and I was just watching him pitch. And I'm like, this guy is definitely going to be a big leaguer, but he sure as hell ain't going to be a big league starter. And, you know, he made some starts, I think, early on in his career, and then they quickly shifted him to the bullpen. But, yeah, what what a character. And you also have the game against the Yankees where he struck out Brett Gardner, 
and did like a super fast moonwalk off the mound. Just, <laughs> just the funniest dude. Like he's banned for life, but I wish, I wish we had, I wish we had more people like Henry Mejia. I mean, let's be real. He was before his time because in 2014, yes, there was Twitter. Yes, there was social media. But, you know, fast forward seven years later and, and basically, you know, everything that people love about this era of baseball is, you know, bat flips and, and guys like Tatis and, you know, obviously Baez, the crazy stuff he does. People love those those moments that bring excitement to the game. And, I, and nobody probably really cared back then because the Mets were had been bad for a while. And the fact that, you know, people didn't just live on social media, then sure, it was insanely popular. But now you just see every little sports highlight in the moment clipped out on Twitter and Instagram. And he was a, uh, a human highlight reel for celebrations that were creative and bizarre and hilarious and in that 2014 year that he had all those saves, like you had alluded to, Joe, he actually started the year off as a starting pitcher, and uh, he wasn't terrible. I mean, that's the funny thing. But then, you know, when things started to go bad quickly, he had, you know, three kind of rough starts. They moved him to the bullpen, and not before long, he started saving games. So it, it's just a weird transition. Like, imagine a young pitcher. I, I just it's hard to envision like imagine one of the Mets like look at David Peterson right it's it'd be like him next year you know starting out the first month he's a starter and then he has a couple rough starts and they're like oh well we need a closer right now let's let's give him a shot and then he just owns the role and finishes with almost 30 saves uh, it's not a common thing within the season and, and that's what happened with Henry Mejia in his best year yeah I mean Mejia as a closer was awesome loved having him and obviously the character, like you said, and we miss him. <laughs> yeah, we miss the character. But now we have different characters like Javi Baez, who I mean, can we just say it? Someone just jacked his earring like one of the clubhouse people found it. He said it was a two hundred thousand dollar earring or whatever wow. it was. And let's just call it what it is. Someone probably found it. And Baez said how much the thing was worth. And he was just like, that's going in my pocket. <laughs> no, I couldn't find it. <laughs> You know what I'll say? I, I traditionally would hold true and believe that theory, and I'm still not fully out on it. I just think with the amount of cameras, I, I don't know, maybe. Maybe. I kind of agree um, with the potential theory, and, and SMY was all over this, that the sprinklers just devoured it. The drainage system. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's used to the sprinklers pushing water out. But the drainage system they have on these fields these days, it sounds like it could have just been a suction cup and that little earring um man that's 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 a tough one to swallow <laughs> that is a lot of money and for all the people that are like well like you have like the and i'm sure there's people listening to pod that think this and like my dad would think this like they're like why do guys play with jewelry anyway like that's what you get like i don't know i i it's uh, swag I'm somebody it's just... that wears yes yeah. I, i'm somebody that wears two chains like i i love it i totally get it um i have no problem with they should wear jewelry like you said it is swag and a $200,000 earring is that at the highest form, I would say. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine possibly doing that. Granted, I also couldn't imagine being... I could see a, you doing it. I, <laughs> I am not much of an accessory guy. I, I had my ears pierced at one point in time and then took those out. Uh, yeah, I, I've never worn... You have some sweet shades, though. You I, are a shades guy. I've got some shades. I got some custom Oakleys. So uh, I got some shades, but yeah, I've never been... Ex I've never... I don't know if I've ever even owned a chain of any kind. I'm pretty sure. Well, it's all about balance on the That's Some Mets podcast. Yeah. You and I balance each other out quite well. And that's why now I'm going to throw to you because this is the perfect segue to a segment that is a, a classic Joe segment. Uh, thanks to our great listener and buddy Patrick Chamberlain for asking for this. It's time for a prospect update. We really haven't done it on the show lately. I know Vientos was sitting out for a little bit at one point in time because of a... Uh, either close contact or COVID scare, either one. But the bottom line is, you know, throughout the turmoil, it, that's really the best way to describe this Mets season is turmoil. Uh, there's been good, there's been bad, there's also just been absurd things happening off the field as well. Uh, quietly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe, and I'd love you to expand on this, I feel like it's been a really, really good year for the guys at the top of the Mets prospect pool. It has. It really has. I mean, the team results are very poor in the minor leagues this year. None of the teams are going to make their respective playoffs. So 
you know, but that speaks to kind of the depth of the system. But when you look at the top, I mean, everyone's doing their thing. Uh, Francisco Alvarez hit his 20th home run of the season uh, yesterday or day before. So he's he's rolling. Uh, Ronnie Mauricio's probably going to end up getting 20 before the season's over. He's up at 18. Uh, Brett Beatty got his way to double A. It's been a bit up and down, a uh, little more up than down lately, but just kind of adjusting to that level. And, you know, Mark Vientos, let's, he, he's getting promoted to triple A Syracuse uh, for the last, you know, week or two of games. And, you know, he earned it. Uh, he, he came into the year as a prospect that I liked, but didn't love uh, his, he, I understood the power that he had in his game. I understood that when he barreled the ball up, it was hit very, very hard. And he just wasn't a complete hitter. He really didn't have plate discipline as much and just kind of going for broke all the time. Uh, this year, after a rough May to start in double A, which is natural for a 21-year-old who missed a full year to go debut in double A, struggled in May. And then over the last 90 days, uh, Mark Vientos hit 312 with a 383 on base and a 672 slugging percentage, which gives him an OPS over one with 19 home runs and 47 RBIs. So just a, a really fantastic year for Vientos. And to me, he elevated his prospect status in a big way. And it's going to be very interesting to see kind of how the Mets work this going forward. And in double A, they've been, you know, going back and forth between him and Brett Beatty, playing some left field, playing some third base, playing some first base, and just, you know, working out where these guys are going to play long-term. Cause I think they envision both of them as big league contributors as time goes on. And then certainly on the lower level, a couple guys to shout out a uh, friend of the show, Jake Mangum just crushed in August, got the uh, player of the month for the Mets organization in August and his former college teammate, Cole Gordon, got the pitcher of the month who he is also with double a Binghamton and he actually went the entire month of August without allowing an earned run. He allowed an unearned run in his last inning that he pitched in his last start of August. Uh, so a really, really good month for those guys. And yeah, overall the top of the system really performed the expectations. Yeah. They, it, with Vientos factored in, it's almost like they exceeded them, right? Cause he was kind of the wild card. I think, you know, expectations were that, Beatty and Alvarez and Mauricio would would rake and show some pop and show some power but I think Vientos as a 21 year old just being one of the most dominant hitters or one of the best power bats in double a at that age it, it's big time it, it really is it, it gives you you know and it's interesting to me with him the Mets are in an interesting spot where you know we we think the writing is on the wall the DH is going to be part of the National League starting next year going forward and you know, it has not been a good year for Dom Smith in the slightest bit. It has not been a good year for J.D. Davis in the slightest bit. And those there was a time where you could see those guys maybe, if they were having good years, hey, you can platoon these guys, as or as Joe would say, you could platoon these guys <laughs> at DH uh, because they obviously hit from opposite sides of the plate. Or Dom can play a little first and Pete can DH on some days, but Pete's been vocal. You know, it's not something he wants to move to full-time. Maybe now with J.D. and Dom, I, I don't know if we could sit here confidently and say both are part of the long-term future or can be, you know, assumed that they're going to be big bats. And this won't be next year, but it could be in the future. Vientos might be the guy at DH or at least have a shot to really take that spot as his own if he's going to show, you know, 30 home run potential down the stretch. Well, it could be next year. I mean, uh, Mark, Vient sure, so sure. Mark Vientos is Rule 5 eligible, so the Mets are obviously going to add him to the 40-man roster, and he's going to start next year in AAA. And, you know, Lord hope that we don't get the same level of injuries that we had this year. But with just a small handful of injuries, he could easily, you know, be on the big league team next year. I do think he has... I'm not sure which position, honestly, he fits best. I think it's probably third base. But between third and left, you should be able to finagle a spot for him where he doesn't have to be a DH only. But certainly, obviously, you want you would want to get this bat in the lineup if he continues to mature at the rate that he is. I mean, Tommy Tanis told us when he was on Mets Perspective, uh, our SNY video 
video series that I do with Jacob Resnick like a month ago that Vientos hits the ball harder than anyone in the organization. And that includes Alvarez, who gets crazy exit velos on his stuff. Just Vientos, just it, it's it's a really unique bat that they just need to figure out how it fits. And and I'm really excited to see what he does in this very small sample in AAA. But when you think about this system, when we were talking this time last year, it was like, man, they got all this talent, but they're all in the lower minors, so they're so far away. Well, next year, Vientos and Beatty will be in AAA, probably. Uh, Alvarez and Mauricio will be in AA. JT Ginn should be in AA. So now you're, you quickly went from all these guys being lower minors guys that are years and years away to now your top prospects are all at the upper two levels, which you know realistically puts them a year to two years away. So you're getting closer to these guys you know, fulfilling their potential of being a major league player for the Mets. Absolutely. And I should backtrack and say, there is no doubt, like you said, we could see Vientos next year. We could see him early with a few injuries. What I mean is, I think the Mets, with the kind of money they have and the kind of shakeup that we are going to witness this winter, I think the Mets are going to go into 2022 with a plan at DH that is concrete. And and I don't know if that's going to be, you know, sign an older guy for a year with, with pop, or they're going to throw the bag at somebody and say, this is our DH, or they're going to, you know, move guys around a lot. Like Pete's going to get plenty of time at DH and one of the signings, you know, and just throwing a name out here, not one I expect, but like a, a Castellanos gets time at DH or that kind of strategy. I think the Mets will have a significant plan for that position that involves them spending money or making a big trade. Uh, but like you said, things can change real quick where we do see Vientos due to an, an injury or two. And to be honest, the to me, I, I don't really want to have like a solidified DH. I mean, I guess, right. I guess if they want to sign Nelson Cruz, like feel free, bring him on and just, he DHs every day and just hits, like he's going to hit bombs he's unbelievable, forever. dude. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like if you want to. He is 41. You, yeah, 41. And he doesn't look like he's close to done. And if, if you want to do that, sure. But for the most part, like you said, you could kind of mishmash DH. Get, to me, the best use of the DH is, you know, giving guys breaks from the field. So it's sort of a day off without getting a day off. You know, yep. when we look and we see Javi Baez not in the lineup or Lindor not in the lineup, you know, you could take that guy and throw him at DH for that day. So he doesn't he doesn't really get a, a, a full on day off, but he's, you know, not having to go into the field every inning as well. You know, speaking of that whole thing, because it obviously caused the stir not playing Lindor and Baez in the second game of the doubleheader against the Nationals. And, and a lot of people are like, well, they're kind of throwing this game and I don't agree with that because the Nationals I mean look at the lineup they're putting out there each day but you are in the mode of you got to win it you got to be thinking win in every single game at this point of the year I, I know he's had his faults at times that to me is not a Rojas decision especially the lineup in general I, I think that is a medical staff and whoever makes the lineup which is probably a lot of people at this point to be honest with you including analytics voices are involved I just like I'm at the point where I, I truly sometimes and this is my own mistake log on to Twitter and I cannot believe the things and I'm sitting here admitting he has his faults but I cannot believe some of the things that people blame Louis Rojas for uh, that I just am I crazy Joe like this is an era of baseball where the manager doesn't sit down with a freaking pen and a piece of paper and write the lineup anymore yeah it's not exactly that anymore but unfortunately you know, you're hired into that. That's what he's hired to do. You're, you're hired right. at position. You kind of have to deal with the fact that it's going to fall on you. If it works, the players get the credit. If it doesn't work, you get the blame. That's part of the job. Certainly, I. my only issue is that they sat both of them in that game. Uh, I think you could have. I think Lindor has been getting days off because they want to be careful with their $340 million man coming off the oblique and all that. No offense. Who the hell cares about Javi Baez? Just throw him out there. He, I, he should play every single day, no matter what. Um, unless I don't he's get hurt. it at all. Yeah. So to he's me, a rental. Yeah. To me, sitting Javi was the mistake. Take care of Lindor. I have no issue with it. But throw Javi out there 
every day. Uh, you know, sure, it's it's not impossible that the Mets resign him. The thumbs down thing has quickly become a non-story, and I'm so thankful for that that they started winning baseball games, and we could stop talking about that. But you know, if he's not going to be a Met next year, he's got counting tonight 24 games left, barring a playoff run. He should play 24 of the 24 games. Get the most. He's been good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's been he's, he's been good. Yeah. It's it's been so Jekyll and Hyde, which is Javi Baez, the player, right? Like he'll show up, he'll go four for four, hit a home run, or he'll go zero for five with five strikeouts. And I but he's great in the field. Man. Oh, fantastic in the field, and his base running aggressiveness is great. It's just you don't know who's showing up to the ballpark, at least at the plate. So it's. I wish there was a middle ground. That's what I really wish. I wish it wasn't either, you know, all the way up or all the way down. I wish there was something in the middle with him. But obviously, it's going to be an interesting uh, discussion this offseason. What kind of contract does he get? Do the Mets want him back at, you know, certain terms? Um, are they butthurt about the thumbs down thing and don't want him back at all? Uh, will Francisco Lindor say, keep my friend? And they go, okay. Um uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting free agency to follow what happens with Javi Baez. Yeah, he's absolutely one of the most interesting storylines. So, all right, moving into the mailbag portion, the first question is from Matthew, who says, in the offseason, who should the Mets target to be their next closer? Sorry, Joe, but if Edwin Diaz cannot close out multiple games against the last-place Nationals with two good hitters, Soto and Bell, I don't want him anywhere near the ninth inning. Joe, the floor is yours. Um, Good luck here. Look up a free agent list while I'm talking. Uh, Sure. (laughs) So, yes, Edwin Diaz obviously had a crappy weekend. Uh, Can I say don't buy closers? Is that allowed? Yeah, that's an option. Don't buy closers. But you certainly want to add – you always want to add quality relievers to your bullpen to give you options. But you don't want to get to the point where you're paying huge money for a closer because – of your fear of Edwin Diaz, who, yes, he had a very crappy weekend, but the last month and a half before that, he had an ERA of like one and wasn't blowing any saves. And no one had anything to say about Edwin Diaz then. Uh, Tis the life of a reliever, right? Where it's, if you do your, if you do your job, no one has anything to say. You're expected to do it, but you blow a game, you blow a couple games, you know, it's obviously a big deal. So, uh, I don't know that they can actually get somebody better than him. I don't know who's it's looking bad as yeah. I sit here and read this yeah. list. I'm looking for answers to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I don't I, like Edwin. Ed, honestly, Joe. Yeah, he's a great. Ahead, he, he is a great reliever. Is he perfect? Absolutely not. Does he have days where he has nothing and the ball is going all over the place? No question. Like, yes, I'm an Edwin Diaz fan, but I also like to think I'm not blind. I'm very aware of. When Edwin Diaz doesn't have it, it's very rough. But he's still a you know, top 10 closer in baseball. I don't think you could realistically name 10 names that are better than him. Uh, it's It might even be less than that. It's just wildly inconsistent. And, of course, like always, it's what have you done for me lately? And the fact is we're recording the podcast the day after he had a terrible blown save. Um, if he had a one, two, three with three strikeouts, you know, uh, Matthew's probably not sending in this question. So it's it's the life of a reliever, right? The expectations are to be perfect. And every bad outing gets, you know, blown up. And, you know, in a sense of being a closer in New York in a pennant race, rightfully so. Honestly, dude, I, the reality of this situation is that, you know, especially since he's cheap next year, Diaz will be on the team. I think it goes back to what you said. You can look at guys that maybe can step in uh, and handle closing duties at times or maybe take the reins from Diaz if he imploded next year. But looking at this market, and I will reiterate that I am not a fan of buying closers, which also includes trades, by the way. What a stupid trade. Um, Everybody hates their closer. And, like, don't get me wrong – Diaz, my problem with Diaz is I don't think he's clutch. And and people might think that's stupid or I I don't know. I just don't think he's – it feels like when there's big moments, he's melted a lot. But it doesn't mean he's a bad pitcher, like you said. If you just look at his numbers the last two years, 
he's not a bad pitcher. He's just had obviously bad moments that will lead to strong opinions that I understand. But if you think there's a closer out there that you're going to sign that's going to be, you know, Mariano Rivera or, or really anyone even 80% of that, I, I don't see it on this list. You can try experiments. Like if you want to sign an Andrew Chafin, who's never been a closer, but is one of the best relievers in baseball this year. Uh, he obviously was incredible for the Cubs, and he's been somehow even better for Oakland in 17 appearances since being traded. He has a 1.0 ERA, and it's kind of interesting. His strikeout numbers have gone way down this year for his career, and his you know effectiveness has skyrocketed way up. Or if you're looking, and, and keep in mind that's a lefty, Another thing I'm thinking, Joe, like, and this is honestly what I would do, and people probably, they just want an answer that doesn't exist, you know, replace Diaz with someone external. I would re-sign Aaron Loop and really consider certain days he closes. And I think he's a totally different pitcher than Diaz, where he's a lefty that might favor better in certain matchups in certain innings. And and maybe that's a strategy that you employ where, you know, I think in old school baseball ways, and I understand this mindset, People believe in, and I know you do not, which is something I, I really agree and you've sold me on and I like. I don't know if there should just be a guy that the ninth inning is always his. I actually don't think that at all anymore. And that's something I first heard from you when we started doing this show. And people are going to look at Diaz because of the trade and think that he needs to be the man. I just don't always agree with that. I think if I was the Mets, I would bring back Loop or, or and also maybe somehow get Chafin or, or get Chafin if you lose Loop. And really look at a, uh, a a platoon almost a closer. Where you, am I crazy here, Joe? Like that's the strategy I think I would look at next year. I don't really have much of an opposition to it, to be totally honest. You have to. What else are you gonna do, man? Yeah. I mean, you, you, what are you gonna do? There's there's nothing. But what I think is something to watch. First off, I think Aaron Loop is a must resign. Uh, uh, there's no yeah, excuse. Like, he it, has to be. He back. has to be back, and it even he still won't cost that much. Like the most he's going to possibly cost is like probably like two years, 10 to $12 million. Just do it. Get yeah, it over a little with more than Trevor. Yeah, May got. Yeah. yeah. Less than Trevor may probably, but right wow. around. Yeah. I mean, it's Trevor may is ha he has closer success too. So you have to take into that account, that into account, which is kind of to my point here of you have guys that have closing experience. So if you really don't want to use Edwin in the ninth, throw Trevor may in the ninth. Uh, Seth Lugo has closing experience. He could go out there in the ninth, even though he's kind of been, you know, very up and down, I think is a nice way to put it. But maybe next year he's, you know, a healthier option. And let's also not forget he was terrible in Toronto. But maybe, I think this is a uh, trial for Brad Hand to, oh, of course to potentially be a member of the Mets in 2022. Because don't forget how badly they wanted him in the offseason. In fact, it got to the point that Ken Rosenthal, who, you know, basically bats 900, 1,000, and, you know, they say you can't bat 1,000. He rarely whiffs. Uh, he whiffed. You know, he had a source, you know, Mets close to deal with Brad Hand last offseason. So I think that's another name to watch. And who knows? Will they bring Jerry Familia back? Uh, frankly, I don't really need to make much change to the bullpen. I'd like to bring the bullpen back as is. It's been one of the strengths of the team. And if a guy like Brad Hand were to stick around, that would give you like four guys with closing experience. So that could kind of play into that platoon that we speak of and, uh, you know, using the ninth inning based on matchups, because that's really the ideal way to run a bullpen, which it's really not done almost anywhere. Even the analytical teams don't really do it. Uh, they're still like it's still like ancient times where it's just like so and so is the ninth inning. But if you think Man, that's stupid yeah, to me, if you think Edwin Diaz is your best reliever, which I do and I think you do, um, if we think Edwin Diaz is the Mets best reliever and it's two, three, four in the eighth inning, Edwin Diaz should pitch in the eighth inning and then someone else should pitch the ninth. Fine. You know, you, you need to have a bullpen of multiple options to be able to pitch at the end of games. I mean, one other option that we know is not going to happen is. You bring back Jerry's Jerry's Familia and and throw him into the ring as well and give him a shot of closing again. And I, I just want to give a Familia appreciation shout out here. Uh, before had a hell the of season a year. started, hell of a year. Three 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 ERA, 
11.4 strikeouts over nine innings. Some big moments he's gotten the Mets out of trouble, and, and he can get into his own trouble with the best of them. But, man, I, I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, you and I before the spring, uh, during the spring, we're like, who is going to be the guy in the bullpen that can surprise us? And, and you know, we had talked about Familia a couple times, and, and he really has. He, he really has been tremendous. So I don't know if he'll be back, but at the end of the day, I don't know where the Mets bullpen would be without him, to be honest. I think I just want to say this. The Mets have had, you know, really bad stretches, many bad stretches from their lineup this year. Uh, They, especially recently, have had really bad stretches from their starting pitching. And I think this bullpen has, I don't know if people are appreciating it enough. And I think that is understandable because there's so many days where the starter goes out there and gives up four runs and the Mets hang around because they don't go long, right? Like it's been a problem, of course, you know, for most of the guys starting games lately, you know, Walker a little bit recently, uh, Rich Hill all the time, Carrasco a ton, Trevor Williams now, who's been fine, but he struggled with this too. They don't go long into games. They give you four or five innings, and that's it. And people don't really, like, care when the Mets lose, you know, five to three. But, hey, the bullpen gave you six innings, five innings of one or no run ball again over and over. So, I I don't know. There's so much to be negative about with this Mets season, and trust me, I see it every time I open the Bird app. But I I think quietly, I don't know. I think they they kind of are blowing a good bullpen year that you – you know, it's hard to appreciate bullpen years when your team's not in first place, but this has been a good one for them, quite frankly. Nobody has had a bad year in the bullpen. Like, you even go towards the bottom, like, well, like Miguel Castro. He's had his ups and downs, but he's overall been good. They're fine. Yeah, like, it's a very strong bullpen, and that's, you know, one of the reasons that I'd like to see it basically back as you see it. You know, maybe you change out Familia for an alternative option. But another thing about Familia is... You know, he did actually turn down a little more money than he got when he signed that three-year deal with the Mets. He did turn down a little money because he wants to be here. Uh, he he was a Met homegrown from 16 years old, played it out, got traded half a year, and came right back. So I wouldn't be shocked if Familia was willing to give a bit of a hometown discount potentially. But, yeah, the bullpen's been the, one of the most consistent strengths of this team, and I certainly wouldn't want – you know, there's going to be a bunch of things changed here. The rotation, the lineup, the bullpen, I'd like to see it not blown up. You could change out a piece or two here if you'd like to, but I'd like to see it pretty much come back as you see it. Man, the illustrious familiar trade that brought back Will Toffee and Bobby Wall. Um, really good stuff. Where did, in terms so of Will Toffee and Bobby Wall. Uh, Bobby Wall ended up getting traded to the Brewers in the Keon Broxton trade, I believe. And Will Toffee was given away for somebody. Who was he given away to for like it was like a month ago? Um, Anthony Bonda. There you go. Yeah. For <laughs> goggles. How can Where the hell's he been? Uh, they waived him and he got picked up on waivers by somebody. So he's not even with the, the Mets Pirates. anymore. Yeah, there you go. So the Pirates claimed him off of us and uh, – yeah, Will, so the famous Will Toffee trade. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. 
indeed.com slash blue wire terms and condition apply need to hire you need indeed get on team shack with WinBet. we're playing parlays boosting odds and laying the wildest prop bets don't miss another game download the WinBet sports betting app today sign up today and win 200 in free bets when you place a 10 dollars first time wager on a straight bet or parlay that's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Yeah, great stuff. Really love it. All right, <laughs> next, next one here in the mailbag. From Johnny, he says, I think trading Jeff McNeil would be recklessly reactionary and would really frustrate me. This is a guy that can play almost any position in the field adequately and has never hit below 290 at the professional level before this year. Plus, he's so cheap. How could you trade him? So before you jump in there, Joe, I'll say this. As much as McNeil has just been, quite frankly, lost the plate this year and you know, he really does uh, – he actually looks pretty good in left field. And he, he really – you could throw him around a diamond, and he doesn't ever look, like, completely out of place, which says a lot about him. And once again, he has just been uh, – it's been a bad year at the plate for Jeff McNeil. There is no way around it. I I think he's playing so hurt, Joe. I think that – I think there's more that we just don't know about. I think he never got healthy from when he got hurt in June – or even May, I think it was May, and I think he has more injuries than that. And I'm not making excuses for him. Uh, there is no doubt that you know VR should be in there over him or JD Davis every single day. There is no doubt that you know I like seeing Javi Baez at second way more than Jeff McNeil. But I agree with Johnny that I don't think this is who Jeff McNeil is. But in terms of his future. Jeff Mc and you know this Joe more than anyone before he came up as a 26 year old the problem with Jeff McNeil and why he it took so long for him to make it to the big leagues is he was always hurt it was significant significant injuries in the minors where nobody thought he actually would make it and produce at that level and now you're looking at it as he you know quietly is approaching 30 years old is now mount, dealing with a lot of injuries. And yes, he's under team control the next three years at, at no you know no cost, so I don't think you just dump him. Uh, I I would trade JD, obviously, well before Jeff McNeil, but I do think he's really, really hurt again this year. I agree. I think he's definitely playing injured, but from my perspective here, you know, I definitely get what Johnny's saying, and he doesn't say anything false here. I mean, he's consistently been a 290 plus hitter. He plays all over the diamond, versatile, you know, a hustle player. But like you said, he has an injury history. And the reality is this team, it's going to get changed up. They, they can't just keep bringing back the same exact band and expect the same, you know, different results. And I'm not rushing McNeil out the door by any means, but he's on the trade block just because pretty much almost everybody should be. They should be very open-minded, bringing in a new front office. You know, in my opinion, I'd like to see a front office without Sandy Alderson a part of it, at least in a meaningful role. Uh, certainly the odds of Zach Scott coming back seem to be diminishing. And they're going to bring in somebody new. And when they do that, I think that you need it to, you need to just be open-minded is my thought. You have to be open-minded that if the right offer comes across, then yes, you can trade Jeff McNeil. But he's obviously not at the top of my list of guys that need to go by any means. Yeah, I, man, I think that I think that sums it up pretty well, honestly. I, I really do. I think that when you look at it, you have to be open-minded that there's going to be change to this team because it hasn't worked. And... I think when it comes down to it, I've really rooted for Jeff McNeil. I think he's been, you know, in his best years, he's he's been what they need needed badly this year as a contact hitter, a guy that gets on base, hits for average, wasn't always trying to hit the ball out of the park, and then something really changed. And I, I don't know if, you know, you need him to get back to his roots. You need him to be healthy. But at the end of the day... 
the reality of that situation is we don't know if that's going to happen. So, um, man, it's, yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. And I want to correct something from the beginning of the show. I read a, uh, a question I said it was from Matthew about Edwin Diaz. That was from an insane Mets fan who, who was apologizing to you, Joe, that they need to look for uh, answers there. So apologies, insane Mets fan. Good question about Edwin Diaz. All right, the next one is from Steve Miller, and he sent us a ton of good baseball ones that – you know, our lot, uh, some are off-season focused. Some, I wanted to take the fun one. Sorry, Steve. I'm just worried. When we get the fun questions, I can't not throw them in the rundown. He says, rank the following French fry types. Regular cut, curly, or waffle. And he said, bonus, I want to try the garlic fries Gary, Keith, and Ron were talking about in San Francisco when the TV camera caught someone eating them during one of the games against the Giants. Joe... I, I think more importantly than the shape of the fry is the type of fry, but I'll let you kick things off here and power rank these three French fries. Waffle, curly. Reg- number one. Re- waffle, number one. Curly, number two. Regular cut, number three. I feel like it's just getting a unique French fry is kind of what's doing it for me because when you say regular cut, all right, I could just go anywhere and get a regular cut fry. And sure, some taste better. it's the best. Yeah. I mean, is it? Yes. Well, that's yes. like that's like saying just a plain white T-shirt is the best kind of T-shirt you could get when you could go get, I don't know. I'm not a brand guy. What are like really cool brands now that are just not plain white tees? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. So I am a fan of the waffle fry. The curly fry just does nothing for me. So, it's a gimmick. So I w- it's not efficient. I'll say this about the waffle fry. My only qualm with the waffle fry is you don't get as many because they're too big. So that's got to play into it too because waffle fries are bigger yeah. and they give you a little scam. container. So it is a bit of a scam in that sense. But I'm just thinking from like a taste perspective. Just I'm, th- I'm just thinking unique taste-wise where it's just not normal. Um, but obviously, you know, French fries rule. Absolutely. I think the subdivisions of regular cut are the best. Uh, and I'm going to go, you know, obviously shoestring, steak fries when done right. Are you a crinkle, crinkle cut guy? No, crinkle don't care for it. It doesn't do much for me. Interesting. So I think I, don't... I think that's a huge void in this question from Steve is that there are subdivisions of the regular cut that are clearly superior to all. And crinkle cut, because you have different kinds, like the Nathan's crinkle cut that you could get at City Field. Oh, that's an elite fry. Yeah, I will admit th- that's that. an, elite an elite fry. fry. But Shake Shack does the crinkle cut, and they're okay, right? I mean, no, wor- worse fries from fast food joint. Really? This is actually my biggest gripe with Shake Shack. So we just got one in Hoboken not too long ago, and uh, when I'm gonna do fast food, I I prefer like the good burger joints, right? And yep. I consider Shake Shack to be a solid burger place. Agreed. They their fries are horrific. They're like a three out of ten on the best. I can't believe how bad how bad they messed up the fry for a great establishment. So no, it's a bad fry. So let let's talk uh, fast food fries. Power rank the, the big three: McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's. Big three oh, fast okay. food joints. Power rank the uh, power rank the fries. McDonald's. The shoestring from McDonald's is does not need any uh, any change. It's great. Oh. And then I would go with Wendy's. Wendy's is sneaky good. Agreed. And, and then Burger King. And Burger King's sneaky not good. Um, sneaky not good, yeah. yes. But their burgers are actually – they do live up to the name. Yes. I mean, that's like really bad fast food. Like oh, obviously yeah. when we get into like Five Guys is a, a, and Shake Shack, those are in their own tier. For sure. Where, But yes, it's a good question because the see, this is the subdivision of French fries. I'm sure the people that come to that some Mets for Mets and baseball hate this. No, they, but they love it. I had it. to put this in. They, no, I, there they are fry discussion is big. It's very important. And and, and a, yes. a, a great move to uh, get the McDonald's app on your phone. So whenever I am driving home, I drive by a McDonald's, and every once in a while, if I smell that the French fries are fresh, like you know, you drive by and you can smell that they just finished oh, yeah. cooking. I pull in, and on the McDonald's app, basically anytime you go, you could get a dollar large fry. And that's it. And I'll just go, boom, pay a dollar and five cents or whatever and get a large fry and eat it on the way home. Um, Yeah, McDonald's, no question, number one amongst like the crappy fast food places, as you mentioned, for fries. That's a pro move. Yeah, that is absolutely a pro move. Another great subdivision of French fries is 
like when you order from a diner and you got the brown bag and you can see the fry grease at uh, the bottom that's of the five bag. guys five guys does yeah, that too yeah, yes five, they do take the traditional american diner style and yes. and what's fun about five i love five guys when you go you get you know the juicy burger you get the fries and i remember the first time i went to five guys i was like large fry natural in my head is get a large fry because you get a large fry wherever you go and holy heck you get a large fry and then they take two scoops of fries and dump them in the bag too and i was just like this is enough fries for like a family how did i how did i get this many fries but that's a clutch move too that they do you know you get a small fry or whatever and they fill up the cup which isn't a ton but then you get two big scoops to go with it so have you had in and out or Whataburger? No. Okay. I, I've never so been to the I, West I, Coast. Yeah. And I've I've never been to the West Coast, and I've only been to Texas once, and it was just a short stay, so it didn't end up at Whataburger. But I know that uh, I need to for the next time I go down there for a Cowboys game. Yes, you do. Yeah. So I, I didn't have those places either until I started traveling a lot for work and college football. Now, I think the proper way you, – you did the great idea of power ranking – Burger King, Wendy's, and McDonald's, because those are in a tier together. I would say Shake Shack, Five Guys, Whataburger, and In-N-Out are also in like a tier together. Yep. Okay. And this is this is a – I'm excited for you to get those to your list because I think Five Guys is the best, and then it gets really dicey. Is In-N-Out it, is, is this wildly fr- overrated. Is this by fries or burgers that we're talking? The whole deal. Oh, okay, the if whole we deal. Go, Yeah, the, the combination. Five Guys, the burger-fry combo – is better uh, better than all of them. I mean, hell, they're called Five Guys Burgers and Fries, so they better be, right? Yes, they are. <laughs> they need to be. But I'm man, In and Out was just wildly overrated, and it's always mayhem, always mayhem. Like when I went to Whataburger in I think San Antonio, and it's everywhere in Texas. I was like, oh sweet, there's like literally no one here, and it was it was fine. But yeah, I, it's a it's a West Coast bias thing. Um, and I'm sure people will say that I have East Coast bias about things, but I'm looking forward to forward to you being able to rank those four together. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to Texas. Uh, my sister lives in California, so there's an excuse to get out there. It's just a matter of uh, actually going ahead and doing it. Uh, but as the- if we weren't doing this exercise, I would tell you just don't even go to In and Out. Yeah, but you need. But to- now I have to just just to, yes. just to taste it for myself and be sure. Um, but Steve mentioned the bonus about the garlic fries. I actually was awake and saw that. So I was like, when he was like, oh, game in San Fran, I was like, was I awake for that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I want those garlic fries too. Um, you know, the garlic frites at City Field are okay. I'll get them from time to time, but it's not, you know, overwhelmingly awesome. The garlic fries at Yankee Stadium are actually really good. Um, but I, I certainly want to try the garlic fries in San Francisco. So I need to go to San Francisco which is not too, too far from where my sister lives, hit in and out and then a Giants game and have the garlic fries. And then I just hit everything. I'm set. Yes, that is absolutely the move. All right. Always good to get some food discussion in here. The last question, and I apologize, Matthew. I read someone else's question for you earlier. This is your question from Matthew on Twitter with only one T. All right, what do you think is the most likely outcome for the season? Who do you think gets moved this offseason from this team? Then he mentions, you know, McNeil to left and trade Dom, trade them both and sign Javi, let Javi walk. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, We've talked about the outcome of this season so much that, you know, they got to win a lot of games. They're absolutely still in it. I think they come up just short. I think they'll make September really interesting because that's what the Mets do. And then we'll really get into the the serious, serious offseason of Steve Cohen this winter. So looking to that part of the question, I, I don't see any way both McNeil and Dom are on this team next year. Uh, I, I, th- I think one of them will be moved. I think J.D. Davis will be moved. Another guy that's definitely playing hurt, but just I don't see the fit long term with this team at all. I... I am a little scared of what the contract's going to look like, but Joe, I really think they're going to re-sign Javi Baez. I think Lindor has uh, the ear of Steve Cohen, which is fine. I have no problem with that. And I am a Javi Baez fan. I totally understand your uh, lukewarm on him at best take, but I really, I don't know. I think this is the infield of the future, and I might love it depending on what the contract looks like. I might hate it. 
There's Robinson Cano somewhere still involved in this team somehow. Thank you, Brody Van Wagnen. Uh, what is your take on on all these variables? So most likely outcome, I I agree. I think they end up falling short. And but you mentioned by the way that they'll make it an interesting September, which is very much like the Mets, which is not true. It is very unlike the Mets because the Mets are never competitive in September. Um, so I think it'll be a competitive month, and it'll come down to close to the end. And holy heck, could you imagine if the Mets were two games out? with three games in Atlanta to end the season. Oh, that'd be something, man. That's what I want to see. I want to see, obviously I'd like to see them not lose any more games and take over first and never look back. But in the realistic world of them not doing that, it'd be really sweet if it was like a game out or two games out with three to go against the Braves. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, as far as getting moved from the team, you know, we've, we've talked about this quite a bit. You know, J.D. Davis certainly should be on the block. Dom Smith is probably on the block. Uh, they'll likely listen on Jeff McNeil. Uh, I would probably lean more likely that he is he stays than he's traded away. But uh, you, you have to figure out where that's going to work positionally. And then the Javi Baez discussion is obviously a huge one. Um, what's the contract look like? You know, I'm very open that I don't love everything that, comes along with Javi, but I certainly respect the positive parts of his game. And, you know, I know Lindor and him are besties. And, you know, if he has Steve Cohen's ear, it could lead to something. It's just a matter of what is that contract? And um, there is a world where they could make a contract that I could deal with. You know, granted, they don't need my approval, but, uh, you know, a contract I could deal with, preferably on the shorter term, higher AAV. If they could pull that type of deal off, that's that's where you'll have my interest. Because the last thing I want to do is be committed to this severely flawed player for five years or six years or, or something like that. I'd want to be two to three years tops and have that out of, hey, you could go hit free agency again if you want in a couple of years and try to capitalize on it right now. And, you know, of course... We'll also be talking a lot of Michael Conforto, who has found his stroke and become the player. He's starting to hit like the Michael Conforto that we know. So my, the conversation comes back around. Is Michael Conforto going to warrant that long-term deal? Because, you know, no. I think, well, I think uh, letting him walk would prove to be a bigger mistake than letting anyone else leave on the team. I agree, but there's a there's a happy medium there. Like, am I giving Conforto a five or six year deal yes. after this? Absolutely not. Definitely. Do I want to see him walk? No. There, there's got to be. An, and if Boris uh, doesn't see this, then then get some other sucker to do it. There's got to be a happy medium of him either taking the qualifying offer or a three year deal that the the money is simply just not what they probably once expected for him. But I mean, ultimately, if you just look at Conforto, he's been. You know, granted, there's inconsistencies within each season, but he's been a consistent player of, up until this year. I think we're at the point now that we were questioning a month ago. Uh, it's Confort like a qualifying offer. Conforto should definitely take it, but at this point in time, he regain he's regaining his stroke in a stretch run. I think he turned down the qualifying offer, and I think there's a there's a five-year deal to be had for him. And for me, Conforo's the kind of guy I'm comfortable giving that five-year deal to. Much more so comfortable giving him that deal than Javi Baez. Oh, it, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, oh, there's this. a lot to unpack, I, and there's a lot yeah. that they're going to have to deal with. And, you know, I just know Conforto and Syndergaard, those are the two names to me that I sit and go, the minute they leave the Mets, they're going to, be studs. Conforto's going to go back to being, you know, a borderline, you know, an all-star caliber player. And Syndergaard's going to go off and win a Cy Young for the Astros or something. And yeah, those are two guys that, you know, the more I think on it, the more I'm like, how could you let Conforto walk? You have nobody to replace him with. He's a plus right fielder with a plus arm. Like you saw, he almost gunned down the runner in the ninth on a play that he had no right even being close on throwing him out. Um, he's the Mets union rep. He's one of the leaders in the locker room. Uh, to me, you know, uh, Conforto is a must keep. 
And you know it, what my biggest question with him, Joe, is just, is he almost unplayable against lefties? And I'm not saying that from this year where he has like a 500 OPS, like literally unplayable numbers against lefties this year because guys have bad years. But it's almost every year when you look at the splits that they're just so wildly different. So wild. Like, dude, in 2019, a, a 700 OPS on... Uh, in 2019 against lefties and then you go to 2018 and it's like okay against lefties he was 803 so you're kind of seeing this every other year pattern but then you go 2017 and it's it's back down you know 729 he just i i don't know i just sit here and go how do you pay a guy big money and if he almost cannot play against lefties i mean if you do if you i don't know why it doesn't work the other way but if you look at most lefties in baseball, they don't hit lefties. That's just kind of standard. I mean, Juan Soto's... Man, he's won. bad, though. I mean, a 700 OPS against lefties is actually not that bad. But this year, it's 500. I, I'm very aware. That's but unplayable. But this year, yeah. he was unplayable for two months, just against anybody. Yeah. And Man, I, I wouldn't want to be making that decision yeah, on Conforto, either way. Yeah, it, what the money becomes, I think it's there's no debate he's not getting the George Springer money that they expected, but he's going to get 20 plus million dollars a year, no question about it. And I think there'll be multiple teams willing to do it. And I think the Mets should be one of those teams. I agree. Yeah, yeah that's the happy medium. Yeah. yeah. And, so. and, and it's going to take some length, I think. I don't, to me, I don't see him as the type that's going to go for that shorter term, higher AAV deal. I think he's going to be looking for that multi-year deal, cash-in type scenario. Um, and, you know, it's five years over $100 million. And you have to, uh, are you comfortable with that? I know that's a question that, you know, whoever the front office lead will be, which, hey, we had that fun discussion about that for two months last year. I didn't think we'd be having that one again, but here we are um, getting ready to discuss who the next uh, Mets president of baseball operations or whatever the hell they want to title it uh just the lead of baseball ops i didn't think we'd be doing that one again a year later it's incredible isn't it and with that that's our mailbag so episode 58 closing thoughts what you got i'm glad we finally like had a good disagreement there because i feel like too often we're we're on the same page or at least similar enough pages like that was that was a good back and forth about a healthy Florida. disagreement. Yeah, a healthy disagreement. But that's that's what's going to continue to grow. You know, we're getting into food now, which of course will always lead to some form of a disagreement. And uh, no, um, really appreciate you know everyone listening and uh, seeing reviews out there. And uh, of course, we're going to mention the YouTube channel that we haven't put anything up on in a while. But like we've said in past episodes subscribe to the youtube channel look for that so mets because that's where you're going to see all of the off-season bonus content um we're not i don't think of the plan at this point is to do emergency pods like we did last year when the mets trade for lindor we hopped on and talked we're just going to take that to youtube instead so uh subscribe to that so mets youtube channel and you know once we get out of this month you know that's where you're going to see a lot of content because we're back, you know, we're a one one pod a week show, and that gives six other days for stuff to happen. So once those things happen, we'll we'll be hopping on YouTube and and hitting every signing they make, any hirings they make, all that stuff. Yeah, the reality is when the baseball season ends, we kind of come alive. It's sickening in a way, and I enjoy covering the team, and I sadly watch almost every Mets game, but... I mean, the reality is when we started this pod, you and I were more excited than anything to cover an ownership change, a, a sale of the team, the hiring of many different, you know, heads of baseball operations, which sounds like we get round two uh, it, of that this year. And just the fact that they will be active in uh, changing and hopefully upgrading this roster. That is something that you and I are. And of course, the prospect updates and pools and or we're more excited than anything to cover. And I think it'll be really fun um, when we have situations like last year when they got Lindor or when they signed someone to jump on YouTube and, and do our quick reaction and obviously maybe even get some live streams going then so you can get in questions live. So 
As always, thank you so much, everyone. Episode 58, the Henry Mejia Stomp episode. Catch you next week. Here's a tip. Cuando la salsa picante del spicy crispy chicken sandwich de McDonald's cae en el wrapper, se convierte en un dip para tus papitas. Esas papitas que te llevas con refresco mediano gratis al comprar cualquiera de los crispy chicken sandwiches de McDonald's por el app. Crispy, juicy, and tender. Es pollo a la McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado en el app de McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Válido del 28 de febrero al 3 de abril del 2022. Solo en McDonald's participantes de Estados Unidos. Válido una vez por semana. Se requiere descarga y registro de la aplicación de McDonald's.